Hi, everybody, and welcome to the September 2020 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. Uh, my name is Christian Cison, uh, partner here at Lois Law Firm. And, uh, you know, we've kind of come out of the COVID-19 pandemic in a way that uh, our clients see us uh, stronger, uh, bigger, faster, uh, and, and just a better service provider overall. And our last few episodes have really demonstrated that uh, we did have some discussions about the developments of COVID-19 and its uh, relation to how we practice law in our industry. We've had clients come on as special guests to talk about uh, their reactions, their opinions of how claims should be handled uh, going forward. And uh, we've capped it off with a couple of episodes that talked about how we are doing as a firm and giving you an inside look into how uh, growth is being uh, still pursued in spite of uh, a pandemic that can slow uh, other people down. And one episode talked about some wins across the firm, you know, uh, and uh, they keep coming uh, because we still keep the mindset uh, of defending clients and defending employers uh, with an aggressive mindset despite uh, our adversaries or uh, a judge or a board determining that an issue is not right for litigation due to the pandemic. And last month, most recently, we actually had uh, a mock podcast. And I say that because it was the final stage of uh, our annual mock trial competition where uh, Finalists engaged in oral argument, uh, pretending that I was uh, the mock board panel, uh, which I don't consider to be a very hard job, but I, it's not a job that I want at any point in my life. Um, but basically, we've now reached this point where we're reacting to things that the board seems to be, you know, for better or worse, um, working on the fly. And here to discuss uh, some trends and in, in, in recent development on a particular defense uh, is uh, an attorney at the, the firm, Addison O'Donnell. So Addison, welcome to the show. And, um, you know, I guess to start off, you did perform very well in the mock trial competition this year. So uh, you know, any thoughts about that uh, before we head into something more pertinent? Sure. Thank you for having me, Christian. Um, you know, one thing I have to say is that you don't throw uh, compliments around too often. It's 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 like manhole covers. So I am greatly appreciative of that. Thank you. Um, I love the mock trial program. It's one of the one of the best parts about uh, Lois. Um, it's the best part about the summer at work because we basically not only get to show our stuff to each other, but we learn things from one another. Um, one thing that I constantly pick up from other attorneys is differences in style, right? I, I tend to be a little bit more theatrical. I tend to be a little bit more outspoken, uh, uh, a little bit more loud. You know, there's a running joke at the office that if you can hear a, a bellowing laugh from across, from across the building, it's probably me. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, one thing that I picked up from this is, is actually, um, being able to articulate something 
in a more calm way might accentuate the things that we would normally be uh, using as a tool for zealous advocacy. So I, I love, I absolutely love the mock trial program. It's, it's um, really, really innovative. It's cutting edge. And I don't think anybody else does it like us. Well, yeah, you know, I think we're always uh, trying to push a culture of learning here. Uh, and uh, despite uh, our many years of experience uh, in defending employers in this context, the law will change. And, you know, I think that's kind of why you know, I could probably speak for you on this as well. One of the reasons why we signed up to be attorneys in the first place is that you're always challenged uh, and you have to constantly adapt uh, because case law will be made uh, every so often and you can't rest on your laurels. You have to continue uh, to really be uh, okay with not knowing the answer in order to eventually get the answer because someone will tell you, uh, you know, a higher court or a state legislature that, you know, the way that this has to be adjudicated is now different. And we always have to pivot and make sure we're representing our clients uh, to further their best interests. So in talking about that, what I, what I wanted to discuss today was, you know, I used this word uh, earlier, the erosion of the labor market attachment defense. Now, Addison, like, you know, you started at this firm actually as a law clerk. So, I mean, I, I can remember times where you know you drafted labor market attachment questions for an attorney to go in and litigate um, you know you've drafted summation briefs appeal briefs on the issue uh, once you became an attorney you litigated before judges and uh, against adversaries on the issue and more recently you've actually penned some appeal briefs on labor market attachment to the third department so Maybe to just give the first-time listeners, because there are always some, a little primer or, or, a, or a background on, on the defense. Um, you know, what would you say is labor market attachment, and how does it help our clients? Sure. sure. So labor market attachment, in my view, is the ultimate check on claimants in workers' compensation law. Um, it is a great defense for carriers to ensure that claimants aren't receiving benefits either in bad faith or that the claimant is merely earning because he or she doesn't want to work. Uh, after all, the, the overall grand scheme, the overall design, the architecture of workers' compensation indemnity benefits is that it is a system of wage replacement and uh, not necessarily wage substitution. Right, uh, But for the claimant's work-related disability, the claimant would be theoretically working and would be, would be receiving wages that the carrier is theoretically replacing. So that being said, if a claimant is legally found to be able to work, uh, i.e. if the claimant has a partial disability as a result of the medical evidence, as a result of zealous defense and zealous advocacy, then the claimant bears the burden of demonstrating to the judge, hey, I'm still part of the labor force in order to receive these indemnity benefits. And this applies to the permanent 
uh, disability, permanent partial disability, and temporary partial disability. So basically what we do for our clients is to make sure that the claimant is actually attached to the labor market, right? Uh, first, you know, the way that I the way that I approach labor market attachment defense is: has the claimant even proffered, you know, good evidence, right? If I if I took a piece of paper and just wrote that I did something, did I actually do it, right? Um, and to drill down on that. And the other the other side of the coin is common sense questions for our clients, you know, for our clients' um, interests, right? So we can ask the the uh, claimant, hey, uh, why'd you apply to be a, a veterinarian's assistant? Have you ever had any experience with animals? Have you ever had any experience in a medical setting? So basically, the end game of this is that if the claimant was found to demonstrate attachment, right, to provide a uh, timely, diligent, persistent work search, uh, then the claimant will receive awards. And if it is shown that the claimant did not demonstrate attachment, the claimant doesn't receive awards and is found not attached. So that's that's labor market attachment in a nutshell. There are many um, thoroughs and many different um, ways you can you can go about in unraveling it. Um, but really, in my eyes, it is the it is the grease in the wheel of the workers' compensation system. Yeah, I would I would I would more or less agree with that. You know, I think you bring up uh, temporary disability and permanent disability, which is uh, a little bit overlooked because it's more often used in the temporary disability context. But before a claimant reaches a permanent partial disability and is classified with a loss of wage earning capacity, it's the employer's last opportunity to litigate attachment before that classification. So um, a good caveat there to include permanent disability in that discussion. Um, now, normally, it's not that hard of a concept to really litigate. You know, uh, a lot of times I do stand uh, on this virtual soapbox and I do say that we have the best tools and the best talent to finalize a determination that's favorable to our clients. But, you know, on the surface, what you explained, getting a client to understand that when a claimant is released to work, he or she should look for said work is not really something uh, that takes, uh, you know, rocket science to scientists to figure out. We go in there, we make our proofs, and uh, we get benefits suspended when uh, the work search is inadequate or when the vocational rehabilitation uh, is not active or con uh, continuing. COVID-19 has changed that. Uh, you know, many things, you know, added to the list, right? Labor market attachment, I'm pretty sure that uh, our wonderful uh, governor, despite your political uh, feelings, um, has probably not thought that labor market attachment in the workers' compensation context would be affected by this, uh, you know, state of emergency. And you know, I'm you know putting state of emergency in air quotes here. Uh, in as we sit here on September 
September of 2020. But what has COVID-19 changed as far as the board's response to requests to litigate labor market attachment? Sure. So the board panel, you know, is definitely an arm of the executive branch of the government, an arm of, of uh, Governor Cuomo, right? So on uh, March 7th, 2020, the governor issued an executive order declaring a disaster emergency in the state of New York. It's still ongoing as of this date. Uh, subsequent executive orders have uh, demonstrated a need to uh, extend this period of time. And during this uh, emergency period, with regards to issues of labor market attachment, the board panel has uh, directed law judges to adjourn the matter and address the issue of labor market attachment when the emergency period is over. However, this is not necessarily just, it's not necessarily stable or predictable because then our clients are without a defense. So overall, the board is now performing these mental gymnastics as to prevent any awards from even being touched or suspended and prevent our clients uh, our clients' fair and entitled interests to be forwarded. And you know, you bring up a good point that it's, you know, Governor Cuomo issues an executive order and all of a sudden the board panel ignores almost a decade of jurisprudence in the judiciary. And so there's this, also this checks and balances issue here where we don't know who we're listening to. Are we listening to the president? Or are we listening to the governor? Are we listening to the courts? Is there something that, that doesn't make sense between these two bodies? And, you know, the founders thought about this and we still struggle with this today. So that's just an overview that during this emergency period, the board usually, I mean, I haven't seen anything to the contrary at this point, finds that the claimant may indeed conduct a job search, but the board is not requiring the claimant to demonstrate attachment in order to maintain uh, indemnity benefits. And the board often says at the end of every board panel decision, you know, the board will review this requirement upon the governor's declaration that the emergency period has ended. And uh, so that's that's really an overview of what's going on in terms of uh, COVID before we dive a little bit even deeper into that. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there, there are definitely some practical and legal problems with this determination. You know, one, from a practical point of view, I mean, you and I have litigated labor market attachment plenty of times where we are cross-examining the claimant on his or her work search or his or her vocational rehabilitation. And how many times does a claimant in 2020, no matter how old he or she may be, give a completely in-person physical job search. I, I would say it's very, very close to zero, if not zero. So practically speaking, the, the idea that a claimant cannot conduct work search during the COVID-19 pandemic is just, it's incredibly wrong first, and it actually would go against the logic of any employer that is either a conducting business 
or B, has hired any employees since Governor Cuomo's emergency. The same edict that never specifically mentioned the Workers' Compensation Board or labor market attachment. Of course, why would Governor Cuomo spend time on that? He wouldn't. So to interpret it this way is practically problematic. And legally speaking, the decision to hold it in abeyance is so understandably frustrating because what they basically do is say, since I'm not making a decision that you're not attached or attached, I'm not really stripping you of the defense. You can just bring it up once the state of emergency has been lifted. And now you're bringing in the political aspect of this because who has the ability to remove the state of emergency? Is it anyone at the Workers' Compensation Board? No. It's the people in Albany. And as a protective matter, as a health initiative, how soon is that going to be lifted? So those are the problems that I see initially. Um, you know, do you see any others maybe that, that, that I'm glossing over? Because when we get to the point of having to advise our clients on how to react to this, uh, we first have to understand what the problems are. So do you see anything else that, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, summarize for our listeners on, on the problems associated with that issue? So you said something that particularly struck me. Um, the fact is, is when is that date when the claimant is determined to not be attached, right? When is the appropriate date of finding that the claimant has had not attached to the labor market? Is it the date in which we first notify the claimant? Is it the date where the evidence that shows a lack of labor market attachment is submitted? Um, the board panel is wrestling with this. The third department uh, released a case uh, in June, this past June, Bruno uh, v. World Trade uh, Volunteer Fund. Third department, uh, it has nothing to do with COVID-19. It's from way back in 2018, but it opens the door as to when carriers are able to litigate the issue of labor market attachment once the emergency periods are over. And so the, the third department believes that the date, uh, that the evidence shows a lack of labor market attachment when that's submitted should be the date in which the claimant's found not to be attached. Uh, the board panel subsequently took Bruno and ran with it. The board panel said that um, appropriate dates are the date when the claimant submits the evidence, right? The, the forms C-258, which does or does not show attachment. The date that the law judge uh, sets by which attachment must be submitted by, and then nothing submitted, right? We often see, you know, claimant is to submit evidence of labor market attachment 60 days. Well, once that 60th day has passed, once we have told all that time, that then shows that the claimant's not attached. So basically, you know, I, I, I like getting into the nitty gritty like that, because when it comes down to brass tacks, the carriers are going to say, so what, what are we expecting with awards? 
Are we expecting it to be uh, suspended the date of the hearing once the emergency period ends? Are we expecting it to be the date in uh, August when we first raised the issue of labor market attachment? And, you know, the law is a little unclear. Uh, no doubt that, that the third department, the appellate division, will have a flood of litigation, a flood of briefs. You know, uh, you've alluded to this. We have one pending on their docket as we speak uh, to basically figure out the uh, nitty-gritty of labor market attachment. But that's, you know, you, you summed that up in a nutshell. That's, that's very good. And he, here's where, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, a system that benefits claimants already, um, you know, and the, the initial response, while I'm appreciative of a response that is quick and determinative, sometimes moving too quickly without, you know, reasoned discourse can be, you know, affecting the system as a whole. For example, uh, the board went to great lengths to amend and amend and amend uh, permanency guidelines in 2017 and 2018. And what came out of it uh, was actually a document that is more befitting of the current medical field we have in today's world not the system that was dreamt about when workers compensation first became a thing in the early 1900s and here we tell a claimant that you don't have to always go to your doctor every 90 days we tell a claimant you don't have to attend all of the imes that a carrier and employer are entitled to schedule and in regards to what we're talking about today, you don't have to look for work when either your doctor or a judge says that you do. And so you don't have to do all of these things, but employer, you still have to pay the claimant. And that's what we're really struggling with here. And, you know, in, in talking about this issue, with you beforehand, you know, we touched upon a few things that can can help our clients, um, and how how would you say clients can be advised during this kind of determination uh, by the Workers' Compensation Board in New York? Right. So. You know, I, I'm taking a page out of uh, Christian Cisson's playbook when I say defending from day one is literally the only key, the only strategy that will work. If we develop a record at every single hearing, if we request across the claimants at every hearing, if we continue to, uh, to litigate the matter and we continue to develop a record, we leave a trail of breadcrumbs. Um, you know, then we would best uh, defend carriers. Um, claimants, claimants will forget hearings as to what was said, what was done. You know, we could we could argue, um, you know, one thing to the law judge at a later hearing that the claimant may have denied beforehand. So really, you know, um, in in my opinion, uh, I think 
the way to do this is through the judiciary, right? The executive uh, will not suspend the emergency periods. It's just not going to happen until, uh, you know, the executive's prerogative, until the governor Cuomo says, okay, I'm done, right? Um, you know, it's playing to my playing to my preference that we should, you know, find a good case, appeal to the third department on the legality of uh, a board panel's decision. When a board panel says, "Oh no, we have to wait. We have to we have to wait till this is over," in conjunction with other substantive issues, right? Um, it just so it just seems silly. This the it just seems silly that you know the board will uh, go through hoops and will will only look at one side of the system when carriers will always be in the system. Claimants come and go, so it doesn't quite makes sense to me that the board panel is administering the law in an unfair and quite frankly unpredictable way. But, you know, in my opinion, I think what needs to be done is going through the courts, going, submitting uh, to the judges uh, at the uh, appellate division in Albany and saying, look, the fact that the board panel is suspending law in favor of a very broad, as you've mentioned, a very broad executive order does not make legal sense. And it also slights you, your honorable judges. There's an important checks and balances question here. And the country looks to New York for workers' comp law, and this is no different, right? So uh, I think enveloping your labor market attachment issue with other issues that are favorable to the carrier, right? If the facts are so clear, if the claimant uh, defense or the claimant's um, strategy was so uh, off the mark, right? Then we could actually change the law. Yeah, you know, I think you bring up uh, two good points there, Addison. You know, one, it, you know, first and foremost, if you do have uh, appellate arguments to make that uh, are more substantial to your case uh, that you're already going to be making. Right? We're already going to the board panel, or we're already going to the third department on a particular issue. Then, keeping the status quo with labor market attachment at hearings, creating a record, and using it as um, an additional argument isn't going to hurt you. Right? Uh, if anything, if you do it correctly, then you may be able to go to the third department for a greater cause, but then get a more ancillary benefit that has wide-reaching availability uh, to uh, the industry as a whole. So I'm certainly on board with that. I think the harder um, part about it is when labor market attachment is the only thing going in your case. Um, what if everything else is kind of at a standstill or there are there really are no appealable issues? And that's what really bothers me the most uh, where you know our clients are getting uh, really you know railroaded by this administrative determination and we have to think about the practicality and the cost of doing so because it really is a determination of where we are today and where we think we're going to be by the time we file a third department sub uh, application or submission so if we go to the third department that means that 
we have lost at the board panel level and can no longer withhold indemnity benefits as a result of the pendency of a further appeal. By going to the third department, there's an additional cost that is not uh, really the same when compared to going to the board panel. Printing, binding, filing, legal, uh, you know, proposed record lists, motions to dismiss. You know, you know the two of us dealt with a, a motion for poor person relief very recently, and that type of practice puts a dent in uh, employers' pockets. So I think about it like this, where if it's possible that we're still in this, and again, using air quotes, the state of emergency, by the time a third department decision is rendered on the issue, and labor market attachment is your only real item to throw in the rowboat as a grenade to the other side. Think about the fact that you're still going to be paying benefits throughout that whole time. Uh, it's very, very hard because it's not our money. Um, and maybe there's some other opportunities to close the case elsewhere that we uh, can't foresee on any particular claim today that may be apparent tomorrow. But sometimes I think about how if we could theoretically be in this position one year from now, we're going to wish that we had filed that third department appeal when we have that prototypical case that you mentioned. So just some, just some uh, few thoughts for our clients to think about uh, on this uh, September day in the year 2020. Addison, any final thoughts uh, for our listeners uh, before we sign off? Sure. So. You know, here at here at Lois, we are the most aggressive. We provide the most innovative defenses. Um, I do want to dovetail off uh, what you just said, Christian, with third department appeals. Look, the stakes have to be high. It has to be the right case. We have to balance the client's wants and needs. But uh, you know, Christian can say this. I can say this. Uh, a few other of my colleagues can say this. We have quite an understanding of, of th third department and appellate practice. I mean, our adversaries on the claimant side, the attorney general, they they are quite chaotic. They have no idea of the rules and what the procedures are. And here at Lois, we have it. We have it down pat. So while indeed the stakes have to be high, there's also a certain level of trust that you need to um, that you need to have with your client. In saying, hey, this is the right case. You know, this can not only help this case, but your your 50 others, even ones in where we're not even there for you. You know, um, but of course we we should be there for you. We should defend from day one. So uh, I really appreciated being on your show. I love talking about labor market attachment, and I love talking about workers' compensation jurisprudence. Thank you. Well, I guess that uh, is a great way to sign off. Uh, so for uh, Addison O'Donnell, uh, this is Christian Cisan reminding you to defend from day one and also reminding you, thanks to Nicholas Fortino, that Third Friday's podcast is your choice, your first choice on this very day. Thank you and see you next month. <laughs>